Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark 13 this morning. As you know, we have been looking at the power of Jesus as displayed through the Gospel of Mark. We started around chapter 4, and we've continued on to now we are at 13. And what we see, I think it's important to note as we look at this, is that the events of Mark chapter 13, they lay out what will happen in the last days during the Great Tribulation. The pressures and persecutions on Christians will be nothing like we have ever seen. And while Jesus gives us in this passage signs to look for that point to the end of the day, we must live today as if it is our last. Let me say that again. We must live today as if it is our last. And in these pages, we will see the power to endure. Jesus is giving strong words to those who place things above God as idols. And God will have the last word. And we must prepare today to endure for what is to come. So just in a way of introduction, Mark's intended audience here were the Romans. That's who he was targeting in the way he was writing this apostle or this uh, this gospel. And all of the prophetic themes in Mark that coincide with end time prophecies that are far back as the book of Daniel. So Jesus did not teach these things for us to keep our heads in the cloud waiting for his return. Have you ever heard of the term being so heavenly minded that you know earthly good? Look, we can sit and we can debate about where we stand on what the end times are going to look like. But the bottom line is God is more interested in how we are living in current times rather than what's going to happen at the end times. He knows what's going to happen. And we must be obedient in today. And then finally, we must, as we read this passage, we must keep the, for lack of a better word, Jewishness of this passage in the forefront of our understanding. Because references warning the Jews of false messiahs and prophecy from the book of Daniel and the warning about fleeing from Judea, now which we will go into more in next week. But for those who choose to reject Jesus as their Savior, including those Jews who are God's chosen, who rejected Jesus, God's Son, as their Messiah. So as we look in our passage, this Mark 13, verses 1 through 27, is something called the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse. Now remember, in the way of timing, Jesus is about ready to approach his trial and the cross and eventually his resurrection and ascension. I mean, this is one of his last great sermons and teaching times that he gives. And it was given this name because Jesus is teaching once again on the Mount of Olives. If that sounds familiar to you, you would remember that in the first part of the Gospels, Jesus did something called Sermon on the Mount. That was his first sermon where he laid out many concepts and many things regarding his teaching. So on the, here he comes full circle. So now he started his ministry teaching at the Mount of Olives, and now he is finishing his teaching at the Mount of Olives. And last Sunday we saw that Jesus had already cleared the temple because there was impure worship practices happen. 
and they were abusing people in the name of God. And all of this sets up the judgment that Jesus talks about in these passages. Now, today's scripture details the events of the Great Tribulation. So, depending where you are on theology, I'm not going to get into all that this morning, but a majority of scholars believe that Jesus Christ will come back, rapture the church, and then the seven years of Great Tribulation will happen. And so, as we read this, understand that prayerfully, now, it could be interpreted different ways, and if I'm wrong, I'll figure it out, and we'll all figure it out, but the, the way we believe is that we're going to be gone. But there is still going to be an opportunity for those who have rejected Jesus as their Messiah to return to him. And this is the time Jesus is talking about. And um, if you want some scriptures that talk about the tribulation, you can look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 or Revelation 3. Those are two great passages to talk about that. So I know this doesn't seem like a, a Mother's Day message. Okay, this is, this is pretty tough. Preacher, you better talk about my mama and make her feel good. I, look, I'm going to do my best. But as we have been walking through the Word of God, He has got a word for our mothers, our fathers, our brothers, our sisters, and, and this poor preacher right here. God's got a word for us today if we would be open to listen to it. So, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to chapter 13. And we see that God will judge false worship. God, so He saw, Jesus saw the false worship and cleared the temple. He saw the false worship of, you remember last week, the offering, the people that had a lot of money gave a little, and the, the widow that had very little gave all she had. And He taught them about that. And so what we see here, I think Paul puts it great in Galatians 6, 7. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And God is not mocked. Everything that is done against him will be judged. And we see Jesus speaking in verses 1 through 2 of chapter 13. He says, as Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at these impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished, not one stone left on top of another. Now, Jesus told the disciples a lot of things that sometimes they didn't get or sometimes they just kind of brushed off. I wonder if this is one of those times. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been to like some beautiful place multiple times? Like whether it be, it doesn't matter how many times you go to the beach. When you sit in the beach and you see the sand and the, and the waves and everything, it's beautiful, isn't it? If you've had a chance to go to a big city, Don and I have had a chance to go to some pretty big cities. We've had, been fortunate enough to go to New York a couple of times. And, and I can just see Jesus just walking through and say, look at these beautiful buildings. These beautiful buildings are buildings that we have seen before, but yet they take on a new meaning at this point. And what we find is that earthly idols and concepts and structures one day will fall. You think of the most beautiful building in the world. If you think of the most beautiful building in the world and think about it, all of these things one day will be demolished, as Jesus has said. They were looking at the building with new interest. And as Jesus is approaching the cross, it becomes more important for him 
to make sure that the disciples are ready for what is to happen. I've got a question for you. Have you ever taken buildings, scenery, and relationships and jobs for granted because you see them every day? I would venture to guess, and I say this as a confession, I took my mother for granted at times. I took my father for granted at times. I've taken my health for granted at times because it's always there. We always have it. But as they say, you don't know what you got until it's gone, right? All of these great things that our world puts their faith in one day, if it is not built upon Jesus Christ in a relationship with him, it will be gone. But for some reason, as Jesus is preaching to them, they look, those buildings look more beautiful that day. Now, the temple compound from which they were, were uh, walking through was absolutely beautiful. It, it was, it was as, as amazing as you could think. I mean, a matter of fact, it was so beautiful, Herod the Great built it for the Jews to appease them, to give them their own place when it was first built. It was originally built actually by Zerubbabel and Ezra uh, back in Ezra chapter 615, but it was greatly expanded under the rule of Herod the Great. This temple was huge. It was nearly 500 yards long. Now, I, I like football, so all I can say is it's almost two football fields long. That's a long way. And then also, uh, it's 400 yards wide, so it's as wide as one and almost a half football field. So this was a huge temple. And Herod's rebuilding started in 19 B.C., 19 years before the birth of Christ, and it was not completed until 63 years after Christ had died. No, not after he had died, after he was born, actually. So it took them basically 80 years. So a strong temple as beautiful as it was, regardless of the pride that the people put into it, it would still fall. Did you know that only six years after it was completed, the very words of Jesus saying that it would be taken to the ground, it actually happened in 70 A.D., Titus's legion set fire to the structure, and then they literally pried stone apart to recover. It had a gold roof, and so they would pry the stone apart just to get the melted gold that had fall through the cracks. The disciples wanted to know, obviously, when this would happen. If you look at verses 3 and 4, it says, Later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. So he's... Kind of like we're sitting here and we're looking over at the Holman Park water tower, okay? He's just kind of looking across. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Jerusalem was much prettier than the Holman Park water tower. But they're sitting there and they're looking at this. And Jesus is telling them, he's telling Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they came to him privately, tell us what, what, when will this all happen? What signs will show us that these buildings will fall, that it was about to be fulfilled. Now, let me just tell you, it's hard to believe for them that day that the temple would be crushed, that there would not be one stone on top of the other. But you know what? I was looking back at pictures a long time ago of a trip we took in college to um, New York City. 
I never dreamed that that picture I have of me in front of the Twin Towers would represent before they fell. Everything can fall. Everything is under the sovereignty of God. And Jesus said this temple would be destroyed, and they wanted to know, like any of people, when it would happen. So we saw there Peter, James, and John were part of the inner circle. And so we see three questions the disciples had. Number one, tell us when this will happen. Tell us what will be the sign and what will be not only the sign of that happening, but the end of the world. So here's one more question I've got for you. How does Jesus's warnings here impact your daily living? Knowing that one day, everything that we put our faith in, everything that's in our garages, in our driveways, and under our roofs, and in our 401ks, and in all of our wallets, and all of these things, and in our health, and in our health plan, all of these things that we treasure one day, those things are in our nest egg, one day will be gone. So the question is, How does this warning here impact your daily living? And I'll tell you how it impacts your daily living. If we know that Jesus Christ is going to return, we ought to live every day like that could be the day. Stop taking things for granted. Stop taking God for granted. Stop taking your mamas for granted. Stop taking your wives for granted. Stop taking your husbands for granted. Stop taking your children for granted. All of these things, just, you know, not just because it's Mother's Day, but every day. Hug them and thank God for what he's given us. But Jesus doesn't say anything he doesn't mean or cannot back up. So we need to take his word seriously today because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Jesus does not take second place in anything. The second thing we see is that know what the Bible says and stand by it. In verses 5 through 12, we see Jesus begins to describe the precious time between his ascension and the event that would mean his second coming. Jesus replied in verse 5, don't let anyone mislead you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. Now again, this is during the great tribulation. They will deceive many and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines, but this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. So notice what he says here in this outline. Don't be misled. False prophets will be among you. There will be people that will claim to be Jesus Christ. They will pretend to be him. They may even do miraculous works. But like counterfeit money, how do you know the true Messiah? You study the real thing. Now, when we read this, did any of y'all think what I did when I first read it? Is that, well, earthquake, famine, and wars? All we got to do is turn on our news feeds. That's happening today, right? But there will be some people say, oh, you see what's happening over in Ukraine? That means Jesus is coming back very soon. I'm sure they said the same thing when the Revolutionary War started. I'm sure they said the same thing World War I, World War II started. Look, I'm not saying that this is not a sign. I'm not saying this is part of it. But I find it hard to believe that you can take one action and chart when Jesus is going to come back. Because what Jesus is saying here is that 
he hasn't even got to the exact signs yet. He's talking here about the, the, the general, um, what the culture is going to be like, what the times are going to be like here. So, folks, earthquakes and famines, they are a part of this world's order because the world is going to fall apart one day. We need to do all we can to be good stewards of that. Don't get me wrong. We must be good stewards of what God has placed us on. But we know because of what Scripture says, one day this world will pass away and God will rebuild his new heaven and his new earth. And all wars are not signs that we are in the end times, but they are signs that we live in an evil, fallen world. Jesus said these events were not specific signs to the ends of the age, but they were the beginning of troubles. Now, believe it or not, I would never, never, ever assume to know what birth pains feel like. And I've got the women looking at me and say, you better get that right. I understand. You know, it's like when the, when the husband tries to console the wife who's in birth pains and he's acting like he's having sympathy pains or something. It's not the same, is it? I, I've been in I've been in hospital rooms where those precious women are, are going through it. And, and the daddies are just trying to hang on. But I tell you what, of every birth pain, of every contraction, of every complication, you look beside you and you see that precious child. I know you say every one of them was worth it. And so what we see today, as we see things that are happening in our news, we see things that are happening with wars and earthquakes and typhoons and all of these crazy things. These are birth pains. These are signs of what is to come. And he says in verse 9, When these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stay in trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must be first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stay in trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at the time. For it is not you who will be speaking but the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to know when it when it says here, don't prepare in advance, just say what the Spirit tells you. That doesn't mean that preachers need to say, you know what, I'm not going to study all week. I'm just going to get up and let the Spirit say what the Spirit says. That this is not a call for preachers to be lazy. This is not a call for Bible study teachers to not look at their lesson until the morning they're going to teach it. This is not just for us to say, okay, preacher's going to get up there and wing it for 30 minutes and then we're going to go home. What he is saying here, he is saying, look, we all wonder when we see things that happen on the news and we see real persecution where people are losing their lives or they are, are being truly persecuted for their faith. And we think to ourselves, I can never do that. I don't know what I would say in that situation. That is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, when the thumbscrews are turned and you're under pressure and it is either proclaim Jesus or deny him and face the, or deny him and be okay or face Jesus and accept the consequences. He's saying, don't worry. I will tell you what to say. It says in verse 12, a brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. Did you know that's going on even today? That although there are family ties, 
Sometimes those family ties don't mean as much when their life is under the gun. This is not happening in America. We don't understand persecution. For us, persecution is the barista spells our name wrong at Starbucks on our card. Or we might not get invited to something. We might not be in the inner circle of something. That's okay. But in other areas of our world, people are dying. And if you were a Jew at this time, your family may cut you off because they see you as a blasphemer for following Jesus. If you are a Muslim, you may be rejected, even killed for choosing Jesus. If you are a Chinese person, you would be allowed to practice Christianity only if it is the state-sponsored church or be persecuted. Or your church might be one of the 1,500 that were destroyed or shut down since November of 2000 in just 22 years. According to David Barrett in his book, Today's Martyrs, some 165,000 Christians died for their faith in the year 2000. I can only imagine 22 years later that that number would be much greater. So as we look at verse 13, Jesus promises those who stand for him will endure. Notice it says, and everyone will hate you because you are my followers. Some translations say, on account of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I think we have to be clear right here, folks, is that if, in fact, we are Christians now, and we are squared up with God, Jesus Christ is our Savior Lord, His Holy Spirit is within us, and our lives have been changed and transformed, then hopefully we will be out of here while all this is going on. But I have a sneaking suspicion that when the rapture comes, some churches will still have high attendance because there will be people in the pews that had a religion and a habit of going to church, but Jesus never came into their heart. So this is the good part. That if for some reason you miss the rapture, there is still going to be an opportunity to, to accept Jesus. It doesn't mean that, that, that trusting Jesus is any easier today, but it does mean that the heat is going to be turned up significantly higher during this time of tribulation. That's why they call it the time of tribulation. But those who believe in Jesus will endure to the end. Some of you, the only reason that you're sitting in this pew today listening to this sermon is because of what Jesus has brought you through. You will endure. During the tribulation, the true believers will prove their faith by their faithfulness and they will not give in to the godless pressures of false religion. So whether you are taken to heaven right away, or you have to endure the tribulation. You can be assured that at the end, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. So what does that mean today? It means to avoid compromise. And and the term endures means to remain under. So when trials happen, avoid the desire to try to get out under them, but you can remain under them with Jesus is hell. What does 1 Corinthians 10, 13 say? No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And when it comes, he will provide a way for you to stand up under it. 
He will provide a way. Persecution on this earth will last for a little while. But rejecting Jesus brings punishment and torment forever. So as we conclude our time this morning, you need to prepare for your tomorrow by living for Jesus today. Prepare for your tomorrow by living for Jesus today. While Jesus gives us signs to look for that point to the end of the day, we must live today as if it is our last. And look, I know this message has been heavy for a Mother's Day sermon. But think about it this way. Isn't that what mothers do for us? Think about it just for a second. They prepare us for what is to come. They give us the skills when we are young. So that when we get older, we can survive. That we can flourish and hopefully teach what we have learned to others. Now, that's not always true because, unfortunately, some people do not have a good home life. But that doesn't mean that they are destined to be bad. But a mother, they, they prepare us for today for what will come tomorrow. And many of us are still living the legacies that our mother instilled in us from the time they were on this earth. And I know that, I don't know about your mom, but I know my mom put scripture into my heart. Even when I didn't know what I was doing, she, I was a druggie. She drugged me to church every Sunday. I understand. But then because of being in that environment and because of being around that, the Holy Spirit planted itself in my life to one day I understood what that meant. And by God's grace, I accepted him as my Savior and Lord. And here I am today. And many of you are just like that today because your mother kept you in church. Your father kept you in church. How many of us are still living the legacies our mother's and treasured women have placed within us. What we have to do is we need to rearrange our priorities. Make sure you are prepared today for the day that is to come. It begins with taking Jesus seriously, folks. If you are placing anything above him in your life today, please rearrange your priorities before he does it for you. The end times will be a time of sifting. The end times, especially this time of tribulation, will be a time of sifting. It will be a time of sifting the true believers from those of the wannabes. Some of you that bake, some of you are really good at baking. My my figure reflects that because y'all have made through all of our covered dishes and different things. I mean, I'm telling you what, I, I have yet to meet a family that has been blessed by our benevolence team that, that brings food to funerals. I've never heard one of them say that that food was bad. And I tell them all the time, look, I'm a walking poster boy of that. But the truth of the matter is some of you, you know how to bake. And, and I don't understand the whole process. But I know that there is a, a type of sifting where you put the flour in this sifter, maybe, and shake it back and forth. You get all the clumps and the junk out of it so you have regular. Am I, am I tracking right? Okay. You got the idea. But folks, there will be, bless you, there will be a great sifting during the great translation, the great tribulation of those that are truly followers of Christ and those that either think they are or never want to be. 
Enduring to the end, though, does not earn your salvation. It does give proof of your salvation. So if you are scared of what is to come, he has promised that with him you will have all the power you need to endure. Listen to me. I beg you and urge you that if you do not know, if you are a Christian, if you do not know whether you would go to heaven or hell when you die, please do not leave this place until you know, because who knows, before we hit the back steps, the sky could split and Jesus Christ could come back. I want you to know now, but if for some reason you reject this and you don't make the rapture, I hope you remember this sermon and know that although it's going to be tough, you can endure through Jesus Christ. Do not take him for granted. Rearrange your priorities today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning. And as we all sing, just as I am, Lord, that there is one person here that would like to make sure that if today is the last day, Lord, that their heart is secure with you, that their life is secure with you. The Lord, uh, that you are their Savior and Lord. If they would like to come forward and pray with me, we will make sure today that that is the case. If we have many people here that have prayed to receive you before, but Lord, um, just need some, some power and some, some belief and some incentive, Lord, to be stronger as a believer for you, Lord, may you give them that. Maybe someone would just want to come to the altar and pray or join the church, whatever it may be. This time of invitation is for you to have them respond, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?